Information discussed in this podcast may be sensitive in nature to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Sage Smith, born Deshaun Smith, knew she was different from an early age. She never quite felt like a boy and struggled with acceptance. When she did finally come out as transgender as a teenager, some of her family members were slow to accept her decision. Although to their credit, they ultimately did come around. Sage had a tough time for a while. She lived with her mother for a bit since her parents were divorced and then would go on to live with her grandmother. Sage and her grandmother became very close, but at some point, Sage would go back to live with her mother. For reasons unknown, Sage would eventually end up in the foster care system. In 2011, Sage became the first in her family to graduate high school. In March of 2012, Sage moved out and got her own apartment with two friends. On November 20th, 2012, Sage told her roommate she was heading out for a date that evening. Only, Sage would never return home. On Thanksgiving of 2012, Sage was reported missing. A person of interest would emerge in the case, Eric McFadden, but soon he would also go missing. Where is Eric McFadden? And more importantly, where is Sage Smith? Welcome back to the Where Are They podcast. This is episode number four in our Pride Month series this June. Sage Smith was a beloved member of the LGBTQ community, someone that everyone knew in her town because she was so outgoing and friendly. She was always having fun. I've heard from a lot of you regarding last week's episode, the case of Lisa Stone. It's frustrating. I can't agree more. Keep sharing her name and her story. It's not too late to get justice for Lisa. And just as important, find Lisa. There's also been some recent updates on the Harmony Montgomery case. I did just put up an update over on YouTube, which includes part of the press conference that was released regarding the investigation that was just completed by the Office of Child Advocacy in Massachusetts. The report itself is 101 pages long. I have read through it all and it is quite an eye-opener as to just how much the system failed Harmony and how many people failed Harmony. Also, a quick welcome to our newest Patreon members, Charlie and Megan. Thank you so much for supporting our show and our mission. We have part one and part two of our Lost in the Ozarks series up on Patreon now and part three will be coming this week weekend. If you are interested in supporting our show and receiving extra bonus episodes, you can find us at patreon.com slash where are they podcast. This episode is partnered with ButcherBox. More on them in a bit. So 
Let's discuss the case of Sage Smith and to a lesser degree, the case of Eric McFadden. This case will take us to the city of Charlottesville, Virginia. Now, I want to be quite clear here from the beginning. Sage is believed to be the victim here and Eric a possible perpetrator. So our focus will be on Sage without a doubt, but I also want Eric McFadden found. He is possibly a danger if he did indeed do something to Sage and he needs to be held accountable or at least the family can possibly get some answers. I also want to mention that since at the time of her disappearance, she was going by the name Sage. So that's what I will be referring to her as. That's what she wanted and how she identified herself. Sage Smith was born Deshaun Smith on December 13th, 1992 to parents Latasha Dennis and Dean Smith. Shortly after her birth, Latasha and Dean divorced. Dean would actually go on to spend some time in prison due to drug charges. Latasha struggled to raise Sage on her own, and eventually Sage would go live with Lolita Smith, her paternal grandmother. Lolita has been very outspoken regarding Sage's disappearance, saying that the two were exceptionally close. Sage was her first grandchild, and she thought that they had a very special bond. After Sage's mother remarried, Sage would go back to live with her for a while. The circumstances are unclear, but shortly after that, Sage would end up going into foster care. Sage came out to the world as a teenager, as a transgender. It was tough for some of her family members to understand at first, but it seems most of them did eventually come around. Sage's father had the toughest time with it, but he remembers one of his other children telling him that he promised to love all his children for who they were. And he realized that Sage was just being who she wanted to be, who she had to be. And his relationship with Sage after that point was a good one. In June of 2011, Sage became the first member of her family to graduate high school. The following year, in March of 2012, Sage got her own apartment and asked two friends to come live with her. The three of them shared this apartment in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville is a college town, home of University of Virginia. It is located just northwest of Richmond, Virginia, and southwest of Washington, D.C. Sage loved being on her own, being independent, but she kept in regular contact with her parents and her grandmother. She also had several step-siblings since both of her parents had remarried. Sage and her friends also frequented a local club in Charlottesville, the only club at the time that was known as a queer club and welcomed Sage and her friends. Sage loved it there. She felt comfortable there. She loved to dance and be the life of the party. And she even created YouTube videos of her dancing. The events leading up to Sage's disappearance were nothing really out of the ordinary. Nothing that any 19-year-old wouldn't be doing. But something would happen to Sage Smith. The Disappearance
On Monday, November 19th, 2012, 19-year-old Sage and her friends held a party at their apartment for one of their roommates. They often held parties at their place. It was very common. Their place was a gathering place. Nothing unusual. But something would happen at the party. A girl arrived that evening and allegedly wanted to fight one of Sage's friends over a man. And the altercation soon evolved and involved Sage and a man by the name of Jamal. Jamal ended up calling police that night, claiming that Sage had damaged his vehicle. And while police did come out and take a report, no one was arrested and no one would be charged. Sage became angry at her roommate then, and the two had an argument. Sage had wanted her to back her up in the fight. But her roommate ended up calling some other friends and asked them to come get her, which they did, and she would leave for a few days. On Tuesday, November 20th, the very next day, Sage called her dad that morning to ask for money. We aren't exactly sure what the money was for, but we know that she did call her dad, and it wasn't that out of the norm for Sage to do that. Sage was also excitedly talking to her friends about visiting her family for Thanksgiving, which was Thursday of that week. She was excited to see her grandmother and her step-siblings. And overall, it seems like they had a very close family network. Later on in the day, Sage woke up one of her roommates and let them know that she was going out, that she had a date. She never indicated who with or where she was going, but the roommate knew Sage to be a social butterfly and didn't think twice about it. This roommate, however, woke up the next morning, the morning of Wednesday, November 21st, and Sage wasn't home. She tried repeatedly to call Sage's cell phone, but it was going straight to voicemail. Sage always had her phone on her and kept her phone charged and carried a charger with her everywhere she went. So right away, her friend had a bad feeling. After some time went by, the roommate eventually called Sage's grandmother, Lolita, to let her know that she couldn't find Sage. She hadn't heard from Sage. And Lolita also felt something was wrong. She told the roommate to wait and see if Sage came home later that night and to call her and let her know if she did. Meanwhile, Lolita also tried to reach Sage. Lolita alerted her son, Sage's father, and they figured that for sure Sage would show up for Thanksgiving dinner. The family was close and they knew Sage wouldn't miss it for anything. But that Thanksgiving, that Thursday, when Sage didn't show, the family was panicked. It was Thanksgiving Day when Sage Smith was reported as missing. The Search Authorities took the report right away, and there are different opinions on how seriously they took it in the beginning. Some feel they didn't take it seriously because of Sage's lifestyle. And others said they were actually more concerned right away because of her lifestyle, that something had happened to her, or someone had targeted her. And Sage had been bullied and harassed many times before. And because of that, everyone that knew her said that she was extremely cautious everywhere that she went. She would never go anywhere alone, especially somewhere new. Investigators began questioning her friends and trying to retrace her steps that night, that night that she was last seen, which they believed was the evening of November 20th, when she had woken up her roommate to tell her that she was going out on a date. 
After questioning people, they learned that one of Sage's stepsisters had actually seen Sage that night around 6.30 p.m. in Charlottesville, specifically on the 500 block of West Main. She had been talking to someone on the cell phone, and the only thing her sister heard her say was that she'd, quote, be there in 10 minutes, end quote. From there, the trail went cold. Detectives decided to subpoena her cell phone records. Who was she talking to? They needed to get some clues and a direction to go in. They knew that the results of their subpoena would take a few days, and family wasn't willing to wait. They were actually able to log into her account and view her records themselves. They found the last phone number that she had contact with, but it was an out-of-state number that they didn't recognize. When they called it, no one answered. One of her family members posted it to Facebook asking for help identifying that number. And they learned from a friend that it belonged to someone named Eric McFadden. Eric McFadden. Eric McFadden was a young man who was gay or bisexual, but was not out of the closet yet, so to speak. He was apparently terrified of coming out, and he also had a girlfriend. In 2012, he started talking to Sage. He allegedly also gave her money often to keep her quiet and not let his secret out of the bag, especially not letting his girlfriend find out. Eric was 21 years old in 2012 when he was talking to Sage. Friends said they originally met online, but they had gotten together in person several times. On the evening of November 20th, it was learned through those phone records that he was planning on meeting Sage at the Hampton Inn. And Sage was late to meeting with him. This is evident through text messages back and forth. It seemed he was getting kind of angry with her because she was running late. And when he didn't answer her for a while, because as phone records showed, she was actually talking on the phone to another friend at that time. So the lack of response from Sage made him think that she had stood him up. Sage's sister saw her in that 500 block of West Main on the phone, maybe even talking to Eric. We don't know at that exact moment who she was talking to. She was also standing right outside the Amtrak station in Charlottesville. I don't know if that is significant, being a train station, but knowing how excited Sage was to see her family on Thanksgiving and how she was very leery of strangers and leaving her comfort zone, hopping on a train and leaving doesn't seem like anything that Sage would have done. The next day, November 21st, Eric asked his friend to delete his contact information from his phone. And his friend thought this was really an odd request and wasn't sure what to make of it until this friend saw the post on Facebook inquiring about that phone number. It was this friend that contacted Sage's father and told him that that phone number they were trying to track down belonged to Eric McFadden. On November 24th, Eric's girlfriend called police and asked them to do a welfare check on Eric as she hadn't been able to reach him. Police at this point did not know of Eric McFadden's involvement with Sage. So police went to their apartment in Charlottesville to do this welfare check and just found no one home. But they documented it. 
Later that same day, the friend that had reached out to Sage's father decided to go to the police about what he knew about Eric and Sage. On November 25th, Eric called his girlfriend, telling her that he was in Washington, D.C., and he needed money. She told him the police wanted to speak with him. She didn't understand why he left town. On November 27th, Eric finally called the police back, telling them now he was in New York City. But he tells them that him leaving town had nothing to do with Sage. It was planned all along. And over the phone, he did admit to authorities that he did have a relationship with Sage and that he was supposed to meet her that night of November 20th, but that she never showed up. Police asked Eric to come back to Charlottesville, and he told them that he was. When they hung up the phone with him that day, they would never hear from Eric McFadden again. On November 29th, they did, however, hear from Eric's girlfriend, who told them that Eric was taking a bus back to Charlottesville. In fact, he had told his girlfriend that police were going to pick him up at the bus station. The next day, however, McFadden's girlfriend said that he had changed his mind. He'd emailed his girlfriend saying that Sage had been blackmailing him and threatening to tell her that he and Sage had had sex. He said he did admit to his girlfriend that he did meet with Sage on the day of her disappearance, but he did not know what happened to her after that. He also said that Sage had a lot of enemies. So now we have two different stories. We have Eric telling authorities that he was planning on meeting Sage that night, but she never showed. But then it seems he tells his girlfriend that he actually did meet with her that night. We really can't tell from the text messages because the texting stops and it's believed they probably talked on the phone or did meet up after that point. But up until then, the texting was Eric looking for Sage because he felt she had stood him up. So I guess it's really hard to say, did Eric and Sage actually meet up on the night of November 20th? I do want the focus here to be mostly on Sage because we know she is a victim. But what I do find odd is that Eric, after that point, became a person of interest in this case. However, family wouldn't officially report him as missing until 2019, seven years later. There was an apparent miscommunication in the family, which came up in a police interview with Eric's mother in 2019. She said that she thought his father had reported him missing, and that's why she never did. But it has to make you wonder, could she have possibly known that he wasn't missing? Does that mean that she knew where he was for those seven years? It seems odd that even if she did believe his father had reported him, that she wouldn't even call detectives to check in. We see most parents calling authorities relentlessly looking for answers when they have a missing loved one. Before we jump into the investigation into Sage's disappearance, let's have a quick word from our partner today, ButcherBox. Are you tired of always wondering what's for dinner, grabbing takeout because there's nothing in the fridge or freezer? ButcherBox is your answer to high quality meats being delivered right to your door with prices you can actually afford. ButcherBox only works with companies and farmers that are dedicated to doing things right. Meat and seafood are sourced only from partners that offer the highest quality, 
and meet the highest standards. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood ensure you're getting only the best. What I love is that you can curate your own box based on your needs and even choose your shipping schedule, which can be changed at any time. Make life easier on yourself. Have a box delivered to you so you can keep your freezer stocked with healthy options for you and your family. Save money with unnecessary trips to the store and save on ordering takeout because you didn't have time to go shopping. The best part is if you use our referral link in the show notes, you can receive ground beef for life. Yes, you heard that correctly, for life, as well as $30 off your first box. Shipping is always free. Again, go grab yourself free ground beef for life and $30 off your first box by using the link in our show notes. The Investigation Authorities continued to search for Sage and now Eric, but were coming up empty-handed. All the businesses in that area that had surveillance in that part of Charlottesville had somehow not captured any footage of Sage or Eric. It was as if she had vanished into thin air after being in the center of a downtown district. It doesn't make sense that no one would have seen her. Eric, they believed, went on the run, which doesn't bode well for finding Sage alive. Law enforcement would reclassify Sage's case from that of a missing person investigation to a homicide investigation. And while they haven't released any specific findings that led them to take that action, they must have some type of evidence. Sage's family believes there may be people out there that know something, but are afraid to speak up. The LGBTQ community in Charlottesville, especially in 2012, wasn't always treated fairly, and many have learned to keep their mouths shut, especially in anything involving authorities. What was also heartbreaking for the family is that in 2014, a young college student named Hannah Graham went missing. Thousands of people got involved in the search for Hannah, and her case made national headlines. Even the police chief said hundreds of media trucks from all over the country converged on Charlottesville. Thousands of people hit the ground and searched for Hannah, physically searched. Where was that attention in 2012, just two years prior, for Sage, a missing 19-year-old? Where was the media then? Where were the thousands of people coming out to help search for her? Sage's family says their hearts were broken for Hannah's family and what they were going through, but they were sad for Sage, too. She also deserves that attention. She deserves to be found. Sadly, Hannah was found, deceased, and the man responsible for her death was arrested. Charlottesville, Virginia 
Charlottesville itself has a population of just over 46,000, while the Charlottesville greater area, which includes other towns like Fluvanna, Buckingham, and Green, bring the population to over 150,000. The area where Sage was seen was near the 500 block of West Main Street, also said to be near the Amtrak station, in fact, right in front of the Amtrak station. This is a very busy part of downtown Charlottesville. There is a Hampton Inn, Now, I don't know if this is the same Hampton Inn that Eric referenced in his text messages, but there is a Hampton Inn just a half mile from that Amtrak station and just a seven-minute walk according to Google Maps. Anything that might have happened to Sage would have been witnessed by many, most likely, and I'm really surprised that there were no surveillance that picked her up from anywhere. And what about the surveillance at that Hampton Inn? Surely we at least have Eric coming and going. About two miles away is McIntyre Park, the only real park green area on Google Maps that I can see. There's also not a lot of nearby waterways or other remote areas. We know, possibly, Eric had left after Sage's disappearance and went to Washington, D.C., If he did indeed go there, it is a two and a half hour drive from Charlottesville, and it looks like Route 29 is probably the fastest, most direct route to D.C. And it does look like there are a lot of rural points along that route. Lake Manassas is the biggest water source along that drive, and that's a 770 acre water reservoir. It also looks like it's closed to the public since 2005, although... I don't know that that matters. If Eric did indeed do something to Sage, where is she? Or did Eric take off and go on the run because he was afraid of being blamed for something happening to Sage when he, in fact, was innocent? The Aftermath Especially 
when we think about trans people of color, um, because there's so much that's going on in our world right now um, affecting us and all of the murders, but um, it just baffles me how someone can just, like, disappear, vanish, no trace, no anything, so. Sage's uh, gender identity, how do you think that works into all of this? People don't understand trans people or gender fluid people. Um, some people have the mentality that, um, you know, we put ourselves in certain situations and these things happen because of who we are. The fact remains that my child is missing, and that to me all, is all that matters. Um, I situation where I cannot grieve and I just need closure. You could just be watching something on TV and you could wish, like, wish he would just walk in right now. Personally, I feel that, um, that he's no longer with me. Because there's no way, there's no way that he would not be here. Amy Sarah Marshall, president of Charlottesville Pride and the organizer of the September Pride Festival, was quoted saying, quote, There's a general dismissive attitude towards Sage's disappearance. We want to make sure this gets as much tension and value from the community as a whole as any other disappearance would. End quote. Amy went on to say that she wanted to see the city implement a human rights commission and develop better communication around issues affecting minority communities like hers, the LGBTQ community of Charlottesville. Quote, I'm not pointing a finger at any one organization or entity at all. I think this is a great opportunity for us as a community to look at how we can efficiently respond to someone missing. End quote. Charlottesville Police Chief Tim Longo has defended his department's actions from the beginning. Longo said in an interview, quote, I see this as a member of my community who is missing and nobody knows why. Where we are in the process, we're really not in a position to share. And that silence, which has meaning and purpose, can sometimes be perceived as disinterest and inaction. That couldn't be farther from the truth. End quote. Sage's disappearance is now considered a homicide investigation, but the truth remains. We still have no idea where Sage is or what may have happened to her. Eric McFadden remains the main person of interest. Sage is described as an African-American female who was born a male. She had black hair, which she generally wears long and in braids, and brown eyes. She also often wears a variety of different wigs. Some reports may use Smith's legal name, Deshaun, or her adopted name, Sage, and may refer to her by either male or female pronouns. Her ears and eyebrow are pierced. Sage stood 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighed around 130 pounds when she was last seen in 2012. She was believed to have been wearing a black jacket, dark gray sweatpants, a black scarf, gray and black rain boots with pink and purple lining, and possibly a bleached hooded sweatshirt. She was 19 years old when she vanished and would today be 29. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Sage Smith, please contact the Charlottesville Police Department at 434 
970-3280. Likewise, Eric McFadden also remains missing. Eric is described as an African-American male, 5 foot 10 inches tall, and weighing around 190 pounds when he was last seen also in 2012. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Eric McFadden, please contact the Charlottesville Police Department at 434-970-3280. Thank you all so, so much for listening to the story of Sage Smith. I truly believe someone out there knows something. And I also believe Eric McFadden can be found and he may hold the key. He may hold the answers, whether he is responsible for something or not. Authorities have stated also that Eric could be in the areas of Atlanta, Georgia, Baltimore, Maryland, Columbia, South Carolina, or even Rochester, New York. Please, please share this case any way you can. Someone certainly knows something. I want to give a quick shout out again to our partner for this episode, ButcherBox. Please check out the link to them in our show notes. We'll have it over on social media as well. If you're looking for other ways to get involved, consider joining us over on Patreon. We will be putting up part three of our Lost in the Ozarks series this weekend. If you have any case suggestions for us, please email me at canwefindthem at gmail.com. We will be back again next week with episode number five of our Pride Month series and another unsolved missing person case. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.